good to have everyone out this morning as we gather together to worship God in spirit and in truth. This morning we're going to look at to overcome. To overcome. As Brother Frank had read for us this morning in the book of Revelation, John is writing this book. And Jesus, uh, and he's saying, I was in the spirit of the Lord on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, well, what did Jesus say? I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it on to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, Unto Philadelphia and onto Laodicea. And so this morning we're going to take a look at the what he was writing to the church there in Ephesus. First, we'll take a look at what the good things that they were doing there in Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And so these are the things that Jesus said they were doing well. It was the five responsibilities of the church. Number one was works. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And then what will they do as a result of your good works? These men will glorify your Father which is in heaven. When we as a congregation do good works, those who receive those good works glorify God. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writing to the churches there in Galatia, and he or the in the area of Galatia, and he says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so our good works, we are to do good works unto all men. But we are to do good works especially to those who are in the faith or in the brotherhood, the family of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter writes, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that as whereas they speak evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. And so this includes the way we carry ourselves. Without honesty, how many will stop and listen to us teach the gospel? So we are to have our conversation honest. Even when they're speaking evil to us, we don't give back evil for evil. We continue to be pure, speaking good and honest things. We do good works. And... We notice it says and they're going to behold those good works. These aren't going to be works that are hidden. These are going to be works that they can see. And when they do see these works, they'll glorify God as well. But it's not to be a one-time event. In Titus chapter 3 verse 8, when Paul's writing to the preacher Titus, he says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable unto men. And so we can see here that 
they that which believe in God, those who have obeyed the gospel of Christ, he's talking to Christians there, that they might be tentative, careful to maintain doing good works. Number two, the responsibility of the church is to labor. It's to labor. The church is to labor. One labor is to study the word of God together. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we know what he's talking about when he says study because we see that it's linked to the word of truth. So we are to study the word of God and that it's going to be work. It's going to be labor because it says a workman. When we study, it is labor intensive. Another work of the church or labor is to teaching and teaching the laws. In John chapter 4, verses 35 and 36, Jesus says, Say not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the field, for they are white already to harvest. What is he saying? Go out there and continue to preach the word, because there are those out in the fields that are ready to obey it. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth, and that he that reapeth may rejoice together. And so when, we, when we're studying with Sai and we're teaching them the word of God, we may not be the one that may be there when they decide to obey the word of God. But we help plant the, the seed. We sowed the seed. Paul looks at it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, when he writes, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers. See, they were, they were there to serve. By whom ye believe? Well, they were ministers unto the church there at Corinth, even as the Lord gave to every man. And then he goes on to say, I, that's why not Paul, have planted. He sowed the seed. Apollos watered. He came along and he kept working on the soil. He kept making sure that that seed was going to germinate. And then, but God gave the increase. And so God's going to get the glory because God's the one that gives the increase from his word. We work together sowing the word of God. And when we do this and those that obey, we receive wages. We, we receive fruit, um, treasures in heaven. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore to the Lord of harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And so our labors and our works go hand in hand. Um, but notice that Jesus in this passage, he said the laborers are few. There's few in the church today who are going to be willing to go out and go into the field to harvest. And so Jesus is telling them, pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into this harvest. We support good works to send the gospel where we would not have the opportunity to teach. That's a good work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, I robbed other churches. He didn't literally rob them, but he took funds from other churches, other congregations, taking wages of them to do you service, to do the service to the Corinthians. What was the service to the Corinthians that Paul provided them? 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? Well, how was he able to preach to them freely? It was by taking the wages of the other churches to do them their service. Number three, the church is to have patience. Patience. Remember last week when we looked at the race that we're all in? What type of race was it? Was it a sprint or was it a race of endurance? That's what he's talking about. You're enduring the faith. Our journey is one of endurance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul writing again to the church at Corinth, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But there we go, you're seeing again our labor. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so we're abounding in good works of the Lord that we know that our labor is not in vain. But we must be steadfast and unmovable in the face. This verse right here sums up what Jesus is telling the church of Ephesus so far. Works, labor, and being steadfast in the faith. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Remember that was that race. I have kept the faith. He was steadfast, unmovable in the faith. Endurance in the race is keeping the faith. Number four, another good thing that they were doing, responsibility was they were not they could not bear them that which were evil, right? They, they couldn't stand evil. Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, and we're seeing how they were not bearing those which were evil. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Notice it said to hate the deeds, or the sins, but not the sinners. He says, I hate, you hate the deeds, and I also hate their deeds. But he didn't say that we hate the Nicolaitans. In Psalms chapter 97, verse 10, the psalmist writes, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserved the souls of his saints. He delivered them out of the hand of the wicked. And so we are to hate evil. Um, we are to restrain from evil. And we are to clean the things that are good. However, not hating a sinner does not mean that you cannot that you can have fellowship with them, right? So, in, Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter five verse eleven, when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, "And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them." When we see that someone's living in sin, we try to help that uh, brother or sister, or even those in the world. We try to see the error in their ways so that they'll repent and turn to God. But we are not to have fellowship. We're not to uh, engage in activities with them that are of darkness. So we're not to have that fellowship. Well, if we don't have that fellowship, it's because we hate those sinful deeds. And number five, thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and had found them liars. Okay, well, that's another responsibility of the church. We are to invite and identify those who are liars or false teachers. Um, if someone today came to us and said they were an apostle of Christ, well, we could clearly tell them that that's false, and we would tell them that they have not seen Christ since the resurrection. 
uh, qualification. We, we see that in the book of Acts chapter 1 as we had studied last quarter with Jimmy uh, where they had appointed those two men because they had seen him since the resurrection. <clears throat> then Paul sees him on the road to Damascus and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 1 he's defending his apostleship and he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? And so that was a qualification of an apostle. So there can be no modern day apostles. For us, we would identify false teachers. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, beware of false prophets. Well, again, there's no modern day prophets. Um, I believe it's Zechariah 13. It says that the prophets will go out of the land when the evil spirits go out of the land. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse uh, 10 it was saying that those spiritual gifts would end, that there would be no more prophecy. And so it's saying that if someone today told us that they were a prophet, well, that too would be false. But, but Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. And so on the outside, they're going to appear as Christians. Uh, they will appear. But how will we know that they are actually raving wolves inside, that they're false teachers? Matthew chapter 7 verse 16 Jesus says you shall know them by their fruits. It's going to be why, what, what they say. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistle? If we are all using the same seed that is the word of God then we should all speak the same thing. We should all bear the same fruit. And so again you're going to know them by their, their fruit because it's not going to harmonize with the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And so if we're all using the same book, we should all speak the same thing. When we're not speaking the same thing, that's when division is going to uh, enter in. It is the desire of the Lord that we all be perfectly joined together, speaking the same thing. False teachers will speak perverse things and try to divide the body of Christ. What are we to do? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, Paul says, If any man teaches otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if someone's teaching other than the words of Jesus Christ, the, the scriptures, and to the doctrine of Christ, which is according to godliness, what, what is this person? He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes the word. Whereof he cometh, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself that word strike there when you look it up it means contentions or division remember we were to speak the same thing and have no divisions among us well when these false teachers 
They're causing divisions. Railings is blasphemy. What's blasphemy is contrary to the doctrine of Christ. It is lies, speaking lies against God. We are to withdraw from those who are false teachers. He says, from such withdraw thyself. Why? Why are we to withdraw? Galatians chapter 1 verse 9, Paul again writing to the churches there in Galatia. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel. Well, what, what does he mean any other? There's only one gospel. So if this other man's preaching something that you can't find in the word of God, that's a totally different gospel. If any man teach any other gospel on you that you've done that which you have already received, let him be accursed. They are accursed if they're preaching another gospel. If they're teaching falsities or lies, let that man be accursed. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 3, and has borne and has patient and for my name's sake has labored and has not faded. And I don't believe that's Revelation 2 3. Yes, it is. Okay, it is. Thought maybe I, I have gotten out. But he's saying that you have born, he has patient, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Well, that's kind of just reiterating everything that he said before. But if there's good, then there's probably bad in that congregation as well. What were the, what was the thing that they were doing badly? The thing that he's telling them they need to correct. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Well, What is the first love? In Matthew chapter 10 verse 37 He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so even though they were doing all these great things they had lost their love for Christ do we have the same love for him as we did when we obeyed the gospel that's what we have to ask ourselves in John chapter 4 verse 23 but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him and so they were doing many things great and they were doing it according to the word they were in the faith but were they doing it with the right spirit? Do we come here, when we come to worship, do we have the right attitude towards God? Do we want to be here? The psalmist chapter one, uh, the psalmist writes in Psalms 122 verse one, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now I understand that this building is not anything uh, religious in, in context, but it is a, a convenience for us to all to gather together so that we can meet the commandment of God for us to gather in one place. But when, we, when, when it's time to come, and it's like, okay, it's time to leave, are we glad that we get to come in and worship God? 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer writes, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. If you're not here, how can we exhort, teach, or admonish one another? And here it says exhorting one another. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, when Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So if you're not here, you're not singing with the saints, and you're not able to teach through those songs that we sing, you're not able to admonish, we're not able to correct one another with the, the singing that we're doing towards God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, before he says the forsaken assembly, he said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. So again, you're seeing holding on to the faith faithfully, being steadfast. And let us consider one another to provoke on the love and to good works. And so if you're not here, you're not, you're not provoking one another to love and to good works. Think about it this way. Out of the 168 hours in the week, we were only giving God four hours. Can we not be here those four hours? Four out of 168, that's one out of every 42 hours we give to God. Yet we will go to work and give man a fourth of our time. 40 hours out of 168. One hour out of every 4.2 hours in the week we're giving to man. But all we're asking is, uh, and God's only requiring us to really come to assemble. I mean, we give our whole week to God. That's not what I'm saying. But our purpose, our sole intent when we come in this building is to glorify God. Do we put God first in all our plans? In James chapter 4, verse 15, James writes, For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And so God, that should be our first thing. If it's his will, then I'm able to do what I do. Do we put the church in God's commandments first? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so we know that the kingdom there would be the church. We've got to put the church first, and we've got to put righteousness. Well, what's righteousness? In Psalms chapter 119, verse 172, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. And so we're putting his commands first. Is God your God or is money your God? In Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Jesus says no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you love money more than God. That is not good. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money, while, which while some coveted after, 
they have erred from the faith. And so their love of money is causing them to err from the faith and pierce themselves through many sorrows. Now, I want, I want to make this completely known. I'm not saying that all have a Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 job. I'm not saying. I know that some people have jobs and it requires them to work during the times that we meet. However, if one could be here but chose to work extra, i.e. overtime, second job, etc., is there trust in God or is it in money? Mark chapter 10, verse 23, And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciple, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And so if you just look at this on the surface, it would appear that those that are wealthy, those that have money, would not be able to enter into the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. In Mark chapter 10, verse 24, And the disciples were astonished at his words, because they're like, there's not going to be any rich people in, in, in the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to clarify it. But Jesus answereth again and saith to them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? If we put our trust in our, in our riches, it's going to be very hard for us to enter into the kingdom of God because we are not putting our trust in God. So if there, there's something wrong with the church... Jesus isn't telling them just to figure it out on their own. He's going to give them the solution. Revelation chapter 2 verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. And so they noticed they had fallen. They no longer were right in the sight of the Lord even though they had done all these other things very well. He said, remember where you were. They were God's glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he says that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory where? In the Lord. When we are in the Lord, that's where God's glory is. It is the church. After they obeyed the gospel and had their sins washed away. That's what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. Before we obeyed the gospel, remember Paul says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But once we have obeyed the gospel and our sins are washed away, we are no longer short of the glory of God. We are the glory of God. He tells them to repent. Love the hymn as they once did. Go back to your first works. Your first works was because you loved Christ. You loved God. And then he's going to tell them about their reward. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. Jesus says, He that hath ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Eat of the tree of life in heaven. That is our reward. He's telling the church there at Ephesus, if you will repent and if you'll come back to loving me as you once did, then you will be able to come and eat of the tree of life in heaven itself. Lord willing, next week, I believe this might just be a little serious for a little while until we get through the seven churches. 
but it'll be probably pretty much the same format, what they were doing good, what they were doing bad, what they needed to correct it, and what, what the reward thereof is going to be. But if you, this morning you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, and, and you have not truly loved him for the sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us, for the institution that he bought with his own precious blood, we offer that invitation at this time, it starts by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And then that, that by hearing it, it's going to produce faith. That's what Romans 10, 17 says. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, Hebrews 11, 6. And our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And then once we have that faith, we will see that we weren't living for God, but we were living for self. We were, we were self-pleasers. And so that will make you want to have repentance. That is a change of heart that produces a change of life. Without repentance, Jesus says that we will perish, Luke 13, 3 and 5. And then you must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, why wouldn't you want to confess him before men? That sweet name of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verses 30 and 30, 32 and 33, Jesus says that if we confess him before men, he will confess us before his Father which is in heaven. But if we deny him before man, then he will also deny us. And then you must allow someone to immerse you in water because at this time, you are not the glory of God. And so you allow someone to immerse you in water. That is so that you can have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 69 to 16. You come out of the water as a new creature, and now you are truly the glory of God because you're added to his church, Acts 2, 47. And then you must live faithful until death. As, as, as we'll see later in Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Just as Paul was steadfast and unmovable, he had kept the faith. And they were keeping the faith. He, he said they were doing that very well as far as doing things in the scriptures, but they had lost their first love to him. Well, in order to be pleasing to God, we must love him as we did when we first obeyed. And so if, it, if for some reason you have stumbled along the way, then you can ask for prayers of the church. If we can assist you in either way, we ask you to come to the front as together we stand to sing the song of encouragement.